and welcome to the Year 29 podcast, where we talk about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Kim Schutte, founder of Your 29. I am thrilled today to be joined by Ms. Rachel Galligan. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. It's good to see you. We go way back. This is a great way to reconnect. I love it. Oh my gosh. I'm already having so much fun. If you could see my face, it's glowing ear to ear because the Rachel Galligan, gosh, she was a beast in the paint. She's a gorgeous, strong woman who stands up for what she believes. This is going to be a good one, Rach. No pressure. Okay. No pressure. I'll do my best. (laughs) Well, okay. Let's see. Grew up in central Illinois. You were a division one basketball player turned hall of famer, had (laughs) some coaching stints, director of ops stints at a few different universities. And now are an analyst, coach, and founder of Go Global Recruiting. Not to mention what I love most, a strong voice for women's athletics. Phew, sounds like a perfectly smooth, always laid out, perfectly flowing, flawless plan you've had all the time. Right, Rach? (laughs) I wish. I'm like blushing as you're reading that because I'm like, wow, sometimes you have to remind yourself what you're doing. You know, you get so caught up in the moment of the rat race of everything. But yeah, I didn't always have a plan. And when you say it like that, it sounds so eloquent. But yeah, very excited to be where I'm at and very blessed and fortunate and having an absolute blast, all the things I'm doing. Oh, well, I can't wait to pick and tear and dive into all of the things you are doing. As you said, I know there are so many already that look up to you and look for you for information. So I expect this podcast and opportunity for our listeners will be no different. Let's see. We are going to talk about the recruiting process for you, advice you would give to other females and female athletes. We will reflect on inspirational mentors and leaders and coaches, just like you have pushed others. I know others have pushed you and led you and inspired you along the way. And then lastly, Rach, my favorite conversation is always about your why, why you do what you do, what dreams Rachel Galligan has and wants to change, who she's impacting, you know, all the good stuff. There's so much that we have ahead of us. Are you ready for this? Ready. Let's dive in. All right. So I've known you a long time, but there is a portion of your life that I didn't know you. Let's (laughs) rewind the times. Tell me about little Rachel. You weren't always, what are you about? Six, two. That's what the programs always said at the games, but yeah, just just about shy of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, put some extra Kleenex in those shoes. We'll call it six, two, but you weren't always six, two. What did the younger, shorter, littler Rachel Galligan dream about? What did she want to be when she grew up? You know, that's a really good question. I grew up with a lot of fun in my life. I had a divorced family, but you know, I had a lot of love in my life and I grew up playing in the neighborhood with kids and being super active and loving sports and growing up in central Illinois and originally was born in Decatur, Illinois, moved to Bloomington. I think growing up, I just liked people. I liked making people laugh. I obviously had a massive love for the game of basketball. That was probably my first love. My greatest joy, my family always jokes around that, you know, one of my first words was bakaba. I don't don't know if I thought I was saying basketball because I would point at the snack cabinet, but that is one of the funny things that we kind of like to talk about. But, you know, I grew up watching the Chicago Bulls with my dad and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and being such a fan of the game. And then not long after the WNBA came about and my dad was really influential and just the development of me as a basketball player. And I remember playing out on the driveway with him and just really competing and him not taking it easy on me. I liked video games. I played out 
out and rode my bike. I played out in the streets with the neighborhood kids. I mean, I was just a really active, fun kid that got into pretty much anything that was a good time. But when I look back at that time, I, I dreamed about the game of basketball. I dreamed about playing it. I dreamed about my potential in it. But I didn't really ever have a clear direction of like, okay, this is what I want to be when I get older. I just knew I loved the game of basketball and that was going to be a really good avenue for me. Um, And I just rode that wave and I'm still riding it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. You are not only riding the wave, you are making waves. And there's so many things that I want to pick apart about what you just said. Let's see where to begin is the question. So you said you are the people person. You love to be around people, riding bikes, playing with the boys, hanging out, playing basketball. So you did more than just go to practice and play basketball games all the time. Yeah. We live in a culture now where I think kids are forced to kind of pick their specialty really early on and could come up through the rec leagues into the, the summer travel leagues. And in high school, just kind of really focus in on one thing. I was never really that kid. I played a lot of different sports. If you remember, I actually did track and field in college as well. So it wasn't hyper-focused. I didn't have individual trainers. I didn't have that hyper-focus on the game of basketball. Sometimes I wonder the type of player I could have been had I taken that route that we kind of see right now. But no, for me, I did anything and everything that I could get my hands on. And I think that I wouldn't change it looking back. I think we can get easily burnt out with things. And I know with the game of basketball myself, I had to be really cautious of that later in my life, especially collegiately and making sure that mentally I was not burning myself out from this love of this game. So yeah, I did a lot of different things. I played a lot of different things. And I think that that's an important thing that we should be stressing more. I couldn't agree more. And it's funny that you bring up By the way, I played track and field at Eastern (laughs) Illinois. So for these listeners out there, this 6'2 stud is just killing it on the basketball court. And here I am in the stands watching as the softball coach at Eastern Illinois University, watching Rachel Galligan just dominate. And I'm like, hmm, okay, what position could she play for us? How could she help us? And I was like, I want to get my hands on this kid. And next thing you know, the track and field coach is getting his hands on you. And I'm like, wait a second. I want a chance. Well, it's funny you say that because I loved softball. I grew up in the summers playing softball. I love first base. I was a pitcher. Not a lot of people know that about me, that that was a game that I was like, that was a really close second love. It just so happens that the timing and everything, when you get to those levels, I didn't even play softball with my high school team because I wanted to focus on track. It wasn't necessarily a love over the other. It's just the way it all worked out in the training. But man, I loved the game of softball. And sometimes I wonder what could have happened if that would have been my focus. But yeah, I mean, you should have approached me. I mean, who? I mean, what, I'm sure Brady would have been okay with that. <laughs> yes. You know what? After we are finished with this podcast, I think I might just call the NCA. I feel like with COVID now, they're finding eligibility left and right. So surely Perfect. we can find some eligibility. <laughs> Please. Oh, okay. So you said dad never took it easy on me. Dad and I were playing in the driveway. Tell us about dad. My dad is one of the best people on the earth that I've ever known. He's been so influential on me from a faith perspective, from a a mental perspective, from a character development. We are very similar in so many ways. And himself growing up, they didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of resources. He was a phenomenal athlete. He wasn't able to take it collegiately where he easily could have. He kind of had to go more of the working route, you know, and had some things that were going on in his life at that time. But man, he was a hell of a player himself and played all sorts of sports. And so we've always connected on that game, the game of basketball. That's always been a mutual love. But I would say one of the biggest things 
is the mental aspect of it that I feel like he has really instilled in me. And he is really good at that. Just the eliminating distractions and visualizing yourself succeeding and those types of things and really trying to heckle me and mentally take me out of my zone. And he really was influential on that. And I'm very thankful for just those little things that we did together at that time. And they all moved down to Florida now. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't have a lot of family back in immediate family back in the Midwest, but we are always talking the game. He's always so excited about everything that I'm doing. I think that there's part of him that he probably would have been a phenomenal coach. He coached me through my youth years as well. And I don't know that he necessarily would say he lives vicariously through me, but I know he has enjoyed every step of my journey and the success that I saw with the game. And like, he just lights up when we talk about those things and how I've continued to give back in the way that, you know, he, he gave to me. I can still picture dad walking into the gym at EIU. <laughs> Pacing around because he was so anxious and nervous about the big games. Yeah. Excited, pumped up doing his pregame routine, you know, <laughs> never overbearing, let you have the spotlight for sure. Praised you, not verbally, but just the way he looked at you. And then post-game, you equally praising him the way you looked up at him. Yeah, it's been a really healthy relationship. He's super competitive. So if it was a tough night with the refs or things like that, we both could get emotional and angry and not at each other, but just at the situation in general. But that's just our competitiveness shining through. And he gave that to me and he's so loving. He's so patient. He's so kind. And he was thankfully going to Eastern. I was a hundred miles from home. So he was able to make 80% of my games through my career. And that was a huge blessing because you can't put a price tag on that. Being able to have him there and watch me play in person. Person, especially not being able to have my mother. I lost my mother a week into college. And so, you know, those four years of, of having my family close by was huge and having him close by was what got me through it. So we're in high school. We are a stud basketball player for the state of Illinois, which has awesome basketball. And I know I'm very biased, but I'll speak about that. <laughs> and you're also doing track and field and starting to think about college. Talk to me about your recruiting process. Like, what were you looking for? How did you handle it? What would you do differently? Knowing what I know now and looking back at how we went through it, you could really criticize our thought process at that time. But I'm a big believer things happen for a reason. And I ended up exactly where I needed to be. But you know, at the time, my family had never been through this before. It was always clear that I was going to go play at the next level. I had big dreams of playing at Illinois State. My entire heart was set on going to ISU. No one could tell me differently. And this is the era where the AAU circuit is really big. I mean, this is the era of Candace Parker. And if you were a top level player in the state of Illinois, you were on a top level team up in Chicago playing on this circuit and in training with these teams every weekend. My family, my dad didn't necessarily feel like that was necessary, making that sort of an investment, driving up there, playing on these teams, traveling the country, playing against other people. So I did not do that. So I was really under the radar, I would say. A downstate kid playing at a small Catholic school. We were a really good team. Central Catholic had a phenomenal tradition and history, and we always had a lot of success. So I think my family felt like, or my dad especially felt like, if you're good, they're going to find you. (laughs) So I didn't play a lot of AAU. I, I played in like a local club, but I did not do well. It was a little bit too much for me. I couldn't ever grasp it. My confidence struggled with it. So it was weird. It was like when I did play AAU, those couple of summers and a couple tournaments, I mean, it was like I was a shell of the person that I was when I was with my high school team. So I was a bit of a late bloomer. I was young for my class. I easily could have been held back, not necessarily developmentally my height and my length and and athleticism, but just from a confidence standpoint, I had a ways to go. I really 
did not come into my own until college. So under the radar, Illinois State ultimately did not want me to play for them. They offered to let have me walk on and that didn't help my confidence. I had a few Division III NAIA looks and was really close to committing up to UIC up in Chicago because I love the city of Chicago and, and they were the one program, I'll give them credit, they were really adamant about me. They saw something special in me. They were very aggressive and pushy at that time and there was something in my heart that was like, just wait and don't make this decision. Let's play out your senior year year and see what happens, aka let's see if we can convince Illinois State that they want you. I ended up having a really, really, really good senior year. But right before we had attended a little high school tournament with my high school team in Morton, Illinois. And I remember this guy walking around in a blue shirt and watching me and I played terrible. And I was just like, I don't know anything about this guy. I don't even know what level Eastern Illinois is. It was an afterthought. Not long after, I think my dad had sent an email to Eastern Illinois. And while I had decided I was not going to commit to UIC, my dad sent an email out. This was months after Brady saw me play in person. And Brady jumped on it immediately. Brady Sally, who was the head coach at Eastern at the time, my, probably my biggest mentor in my life. But Brady was looking to build a really big class at Eastern. I remember our conversation. I said, what level are you guys? I didn't even know what level Eastern Illinois was <laughs> when we had our first conversation. If maybe that gives you a bit of an idea of the state of the, just the program and the women's basketball program at the time to be a hundred miles away and not know that it was really bad. Not a whole lot of tradition there, not a lot of success. And so he really sold me on this vision of we're going to build something great. I went down there to visit and I felt like I just loved Charleston. I felt like it was an opportunity to build something, do something there that had never been done before. And that really sold me. I'm really glad I didn't end up committing to UIC. So Brady came after me pretty hard. It was late. It was in the spring of my senior year, which you don't see as much anymore. People are making decisions much earlier. Now we could go back and forth as to if that's going to change now with the current things going on in the world. I chose later on just to see what happened and it was the best decision of my life. And ultimately that's how I ended up in Charleston. And we just had a guy that saw me at a tournament and believed in me and the rest was history. Well, I'm so thankful that you waited. <laughs> I am a big fan, just like you, of Brady Selly. And we'll talk a little bit more about that little guy next door in a minute. But he sold me on an opportunity to build something. It's interesting that you use that statement, especially in your state right now, of an opportunity to build. And it's crazy to think that sometimes we as young people aren't really sure we know what we're doing or why it is. And I know you are a faith believer and there's something that happened for a reason. And you landed at EIU and now you talk about the reason you went there was he saw something special in me and then something in your heart said no to something else and sold me on an opportunity to build and put them on the map. Yeah, I talked about that confidence at the time. I was devastated. I would not sit here and say that I was like screaming from the mountaintops. I felt like I was this kind of hot shot in my town. And when I announced I was going to Eastern Illinois, everybody was kind of like, what? Where? Why? There was a hint of disappointment. And I think Maybe that was more so in me because I had such a vision of playing in the Missouri Valley and going to Illinois State and helping. They were really, really good at that time. I'd watched that program get built back up and it was in my backyard. So my heart was on one thing, but the reality of walking on and struggling so much with my confidence, I would have never amounted to be the player, the person that I was when I went to Eastern because ultimately it was my dad because I was almost prepared to say, okay, I'm going to walk on. I didn't have what it took in me in, at that time to overcome what walking on would mean. I didn't have the toughness. I didn't have the confidence. There's no way. I, I think I would have just been buried. So looking at a guy like Brady 
and looking at this random school that I knew very little about, it lit a fire under me. And honestly, it kind of pissed me off. Like I went in with the notion of like, not only was I going in with a group of women that were very similar to me and I was excited about, and I knew we were all going to be really, really close. It's a huge class. And I thought that was fun. And I thought Charleston was fun. <laughs> you know, it was very much up my alley as a college experience and just something new. But Brady believing in me and offering me a full ride scholarship and not handicapping myself in the future financially. I mean, my dad kind of had to slap me in the face, not physically, but was like, wake up and look what's right in front of you. And, and he was exactly right. This guy believes in you. And I still probably went to Eastern with the notion of wanted to be liked. I wanted to have fun. They had won like three games every year up until that. And so there's elements of just wanting to fit in and see what happens. But I didn't realize I was walking into a situation where I could not have been with a more perfect match from a person to develop me and pull out the greatest parts of me on the court, off the court. I really thrived at Eastern and under Brady. It was the perfect match and God aligned our past perfectly. And like I said, I always tell everybody I would have never been the player that I was or the person that I am had I not made that decision to go play for him at Eastern. What an incredible story. And if you know Brady Sally, he doesn't lack confidence. He doesn't <laughs> lack spark. <laughs> but what a match. And I suppose that's what it's all about. And who would have thought Rachel Galligan? And let me describe Rachel Galligan from a fan standpoint for the listeners out there. 6'2", long, tabletop shoulders, beautiful. She's just strikingly a gorgeous girl, woman. <laughs> But she's a beast on the court. Like she just dominated the paint and the tougher the game became, and I'm going to steal your words, the more pissed off she became and rose to the fire and it lit her fire. And then she just would take over a game. And who would have thought that this person that I'm describing didn't have the confidence that I saw on the court. I even remember Brady pulling me in his office and saying, Rachel, you've been freshman of the year. You've been first team all conference. You're in conversation for player of the year. And this was like before my junior year. And he's like, you need to walk around like you are that girl on campus. Like you have to start carrying yourself differently. And I was kind of like, what are you talking about? I was so oblivious again. And that just goes back to my nature of just having fun, wanting to be liked. When I stepped between those lines, don't get me wrong. I wanted to win, but in terms of ego or making it about me, it's very uncomfortable for me, you know, and, and, but he was exactly right. And, and I think there were parts of me that he needed to pull out. He needed to light that fire. I could be too passive. I could be too, I guess, nice, if you will, and make sure everybody's happy. I don't want to make anyone upset because I'm getting all the awards. I want to make sure everyone's happy too. And I'm a people pleaser. And I think that Brady was able to push my buttons and pull the right things out and be real with me in a way that was healthy and good for me. He really developed those areas of just swagger and confidence and pulled out that beast in me that was always there. But I think, you know, through life and through just wanting to be liked, sometimes it takes someone that doesn't always get pulled out the right way or channeled the right way. And I will say he did a really good job of speaking my language. I was not the type of player that if you sat there and tell me how great I am, I was not a good practice player. I did not care. I was a gamer. I wanted to go play games. But if you sit there and just tell me how amazing I am, 
that wasn't going to work. I had to be challenged. I had to be called out. I had to be told that Julie was kicking my butt in practice. I had to be told that I was a lazy practice player. You know, I had to be really, really pushed and out of my comfort zone and challenged in a way that lit a match. And I was ready to just rip someone's head off and compete and challenge myself. And so there were so many steps of that on top of even just being like, hey, you've been overlooked. Nobody wanted you. Nobody wanted you. We're, we're getting ready to play Illinois State tonight. And I took that personal. I was ready to drop 30 on them and we were going to do everything we could to beat them and never let that go. So there was a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that was a healthy chip and that combination of pulling that confidence out, conversations that we had and that chip really was the culmination of my career. And that's why I thrived at the right time because I was not that player in high school. Well, let me paint another picture to make sure that it is said is this beast mode, this putting the chip on the shoulder rip someone's head off is also the same person that I truly agree. A people pleaser, the captain, the leader, the make sure everyone's involved, make sure everybody smiles. The first one to give the last player on the bench high five. That's also the player that Rachel Galligan was and the person that she is. Tell me about going to college. It's only a hundred miles away. I remember the day that Coach Selly walked down and had to make the phone call about the passing of your mom. And it's a nightmare, right? College is hard as it is. Your dad kept you in a strong mental place and pushed you. And college was going to be hard, but you made a choice. How would you advise those that go to college and have obstacles or suffer or are challenged by confidence or maybe their coach or their teacher, their professor, their roommates challenge them a little bit? And college is hard anyway, let alone when you face adversity or challenges or obstacles or things you didn't plan on. Yeah, I think for me at that time, it was a huge whirlwind. I mean, my whole life had changed. I had just literally been dropped off at the school. I was so excited. I had all these new friends and all these new teammates and different things on campus we were going to. And just this whole world was so exciting. And then a week and a half later, something like that happens. I don't know how I process that. I remember going through my mother's death and thinking, do I go back? Or do I just come back home and like reevaluate what I'm doing? Like I had a choice to make. And ultimately my plan was always to go to college. My mother couldn't have been more excited for me going to Charleston and was so ready to be a part of that as well. So the plan, part of it was to make her proud. Part of it was I dealt with it with this new life. I was able to shut down a little bit of what had happened and my loss while focusing on this new path. And I remember I had a lot of love and support and resources surrounding me those early months and through the season, Brady and my coaches had a very strong pulse on me and my teammates and everybody really rallied around me, offering me support and counseling and therapy, which I opted out of at the time. Later on in life, I chose to go those routes, which I'm a huge advocate for. But I just put my head down and I went to work and I focused on the good. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I think with me, life is about adversity. We're going to be thrown major challenges. We're going to be thrown major obstacles. It doesn't stop. And for me at that time, there was so much excitement and good while still so much pain and just being able to recognize both. And I remember sitting in the back of the bus after games and just crying and no one knew I was crying, but I'd listen to my iPod and I would just break down. And those were my moments of grief and that was okay. But then I'd show up to practice the next day with my new best friends and my really challenging coach. And so I just put my head down and focused on 
this massive step in my life. That's something that I had always dreamed of. And so I would say college is a great path. It's a great stepping stone. It's not the real world. You know, we always say, oh, you're going up to college, you're going into the real world. It's not exactly the real world, but it's an opportunity to spread your wings and fly a little bit. And yeah, there is going to be adversity. You are going to have a coach who's making you cry. You are going to have adversity in the classroom. You are going to have stuff that happens on campus that's challenging, but that's life. And I guess I always looked at it that way. I think I'm a very glass half full person and just tried to combat the hard with the good, always being thankful for the blessings around me and the opportunity around me and never losing sight of that. I'd like to put that on a coffee mug, Rachel. Could you sign off all your rights to that, <laughs> please, please? Go ahead. Go ahead. Please do. <laughs> well, I watched this community, and I guess I'll put a plug in for Eastern Illinois. Obviously, I went to Eastern Illinois for part of my career and coached there for a total of 11 years. And I watched this community wrap their arms around you, your team, because like you said, the Brady Selly women's basketball program your freshman year made just a complete 180 from what it was to what it is. And then this community of only 10,000 people, Charleston is in the middle of some corn and beans, and then there happens to be a university there. And the school doubles the size of the community when it's in session. And women's basketball, oh wait, they have a women's basketball team? No, they have the women's basketball team. And this community just started wrapping their arms around your team as a team, enjoying the the show, the camaraderie, the push and pull of Brady. And then your team just rose and it was just really cool to see. And all of a sudden, this kid from Bloomington is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> first, I got to say my, my class was, if you talk to anyone from the Charleston area, from those who played after us, how pivotal my specific recruiting class was. We were Brady's first class. There were six of us, five of us that finished and we all live together. We still keep in touch. We've been in each other's weddings. I mean, you know, it's everything we envisioned it to be. They always laugh because no one knew that I was coming. He had signed five of them in the fall. And then in the spring, me, and that was before social media is what it is. And so I remember move-in day. I was like, hey guys, I'm your teammate. And they were like, wait, there's another one? You know, so that <laughs> no one knew that I was a late signing. But it started with that group. We had some really good leaders that were before us. Maggie Eck, Megan Sparks, some others who knew that change needed to be had, knew that there hadn't been a lot of winning. They were hungry for something different. Those first couple of years, we were really moldable. <laughs> we talk about culture with programs and there was not always a great culture there. Anyone who knows Eastern's a party school, the basketball team did not fall short of that up until that point. And as little freshmen, we didn't know any different. And so those first couple of years were a challenge. We had to learn what it meant to win. We had to learn what it meant to face our own adversities. We had to learn what it meant to buy in to what Brady was saying, instead of just going out there and trying to do it your way. So the first couple of years, you could see that there was talent, but I remember we won 10 games and we thought we did something great because that's what the team before us had done. And we were like, well, this is great. So we had to like really go through some major learning curves of how to win. And then by the time our junior year came, that was the year we were supposed to be really, really good. We were all upperclassmen. There was a really good class that had come in after us. They were sophomores. The league was aware of me and not just me though, my teammates, Megan Edwards, Lindsay Clumpers, Ellen Canale, just the talent that we had had. We had been through losing enough. We were tired of it <laughs> and we were mature. And I remember we started that season out 0-7 and that was the year we were supposed to be like it. I broke my toe. I missed a few games. 
as I break my toe, then they finally win. Then they start winning. And then I come back. I'm like, y'all don't even need me. (laughs) But we ended up turning that season around. I think we ended up going 19 and 12 or something. Just absolutely to start the season 0 and 7 and then do that big of a 180. And then the following year, we broke the school record for wins in a season and should have been in the NCAA tournament and was really demanding the respect of so many division one schools across the country, not just the state of Illinois, where just a few years before, no one knew even what level Eastern Illinois was. And yeah, I mean, you talk about the community there and there's nothing else like it in the world. It's the epitome of a college town and everybody was just so excited. And I remember just how much fun we had, the games, the similar faces, the people that just really were so excited for the success we were starting to have and could rally around that. And then even after we graduated, they go on to win the OVC. And that was the class of Takenya Nixon and those guys who were really dominant as well. It was an incredible time at Eastern. And if you talk to Takenya, I actually got a chance to run into her recently, or at least talk to her recently in Kansas City. She's like, we wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for your guys' class. None of us would have been there if it wasn't for you guys starting. And that means a lot. And I think that you look back at that period of time in Eastern Illinois women's basketball, even just athletics as a whole, it was a blast. But everybody would tell you from my class that we decided to do that because, and I tell this a lot to people, like when I went to Eastern, I wasn't like, what's Eastern going to do for me? I went because of the name across my chest. And I really approached it as we all did. My whole class did. This is about this school, this name across our chest, and what can we do to grow this and make it better? And we bought into that. And it was really cool to experience that. And you can't fake things like that. It has to be real. We live in a world today where it's about me, 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 me. What can you do for me? How can this benefit me? But at that time, it was about Eastern. And it was about building something together. And that's probably more than any award that I've ever received been one of the most incredible things to be a part of. And one of the things I'm most proud of. That's a mic drop statement. (laughs) All of the community of Charleston, you say, Rachel, they finish it with Galligan. And she is definitely an EIU favorite, an EIU Hall of Famer, an EIU great. And when she walks on campus, people just smile and glow because of the things you just said. You played for the name on your front and you timidly accepted your Hall of Fame status and we're quickly to talk about your team. And I think that's so much for people to learn now, especially athletes, as well as students. I hope that my 5'11", 12-year-old daughter will look up to someone like Rachel Galligan and pull her shoulders back and be proud of who she is, but yet compete or excel with a chip on her shoulder and a gratefulness of to be blessed with an opportunity. Because that's what I think you did is you embrace an opportunity and a school and a community embrace you. Yeah, 100%. And it was just about how can I leave a mark? How can I leave a legacy? How can I embrace every day on this campus and leave it better than when I arrived? And I was really involved in anything that I could get my hands on, whether that was Student Athlete Advisory Committee, track and field, which we talked about. I just wanted to seize the moment every day and make a mark any way that I could make a friend, engage with the faculty. That's just me as a person. But I just remember thinking at that time, like I wanted to just get the entire experience across the board. And I wanted to just soak up everything that this town, this city, these people, this university had to offer. And I have no regrets about it. Best four years of my life for sure. So you finish being this super stud athlete and you go into coaching. Tell us about, you've had opportunities and different areas of coaching, assistant coach, director of ops, different levels. You were with Coach Sally for a little while, different areas of the country. What did you enjoy most about coaching? 
it felt like a natural step for me being a part of a team and being a part of something bigger than yourself and trying to build something. Obviously getting an opportunity to work under Brady and learn from him and continue that in a more like professional manner outside the court was huge, very influential in my career and my mentality and how I view things. And I loved the game days. I loved the connection with the girls. I, I loved having my door open and allowing them to come in and just talk about life with me. I enjoyed those relationships. I enjoyed the recruiting process. I was a really, really good recruiter. I would say that was my biggest strength. I didn't exactly excel in X's and O's, although definitely pushed me to get better at that as well. And that's something I'm always going to be hyper-focused on, but the relationship aspects, the recruiting process, Brady was adamant. He wanted me to recruit internationally. And that was a massive influential decision on his part in my life. So, I mean, I got to see the world as well, recruiting for this school and for something that I believed in so much because I played under it. No one's going to sell Eastern Illinois better than me. No one's going to sell what we're building for Brady Sally better than me. And I think we had a really good few years there and it continued over to Ball State, connecting with that team and kind of rebuilding that program and revitalizing it. And, and that taught me a lot. Had a lot of phenomenal experiences with an incredible amount of young women. And then getting an opportunity to spread my wings from Brady and learn under a different coach at Grand Canyon and then at Embry-Riddle, a different level at the NAIA level. Those were just more so moves of understanding and I broadened my horizon. At that point, I had really only known Brady and his system and could have easily taken the jump and probably been a BCS assistant. Had a couple opportunities, turned them down. People thought I was crazy. But I would say what I loved about it the most was obviously the games, the competitiveness, but connecting with the girls and the recruiting aspect of it that I really thrived in. So when you talked about growing up and watching Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, and then this thing called the WNBA happened. When I was growing up, I'm a bit older than you, just a couple of years. We didn't have social media. We didn't have women's sports on TV to watch. We didn't have it at our fingertips. So stars like Rachel Galligan, or let's fast forward the times, Candace Parker, these awesome, awesome names and influential, strong women who do what they do on the field or on the court, but yet off the court and off the field. I think maybe you are doing some of that now. Tell us about what you are doing, because you said it was a massive influential decision and opportunity for me to recruit for Brady internationally. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and say it was an easy decision to get out of coaching. It's a, it's a phenomenal career path. And I miss, there are things about it. I miss very much. The thing that I will always tell people is the way it's structured for me, it kind of puts me in a box. I feel like I can only do so much and I missed out on a lot of things in life and I'll missed out on a lot of time in life. And after going through the experience with my mother, life was short and there was a whole lot of life out there for me to live outside of the confines of coaching. That's not to say that I won't ever do it again. I take each opportunity and day in stride, but I got out of it because I knew that there was this whole other world I needed to experience. And deep in my heart, I knew that a huge connection to that was the international game. I had spent a lot of time in Europe recruiting international players. I brought Sabina Orisover over from Slovakia, Natalie Fontaine from Sweden. I had really connected with players in other countries and I saw a need 
to help on a bigger scale. There's so much talent over there and so much opportunity from a recruiting perspective to go get a player who can impact your pro program far greater than someone you might be able to get here in the States. And so I wanted to be that bridge. I wanted to not only help educate the girls and their families internationally about what it meant to come play in America. Hey, did you even know that this is a possibility? I mean, I've had that conversation so many times, but also help connect them to those coaches, help connect them to a right fit for them. I want to ask them, what do you like? What do you want to study? What areas of the world do you want to see? That These are the benefits of considering doing this. So I'm kind of that bridge to help international players on a broader scale be able to come over here. And when I say players, it's just women's basketball. So I started Go Global recruiting and, you know, have focused primarily in Europe to just kind of help evaluate talent, help the college coaches find talent, help those families and those girls understand what it means to come to America, get a scholarship, play in the States, explaining the levels, explaining NAI versus NCAA. There's so many things. Who are they supposed to go to for help over there? It's not always as easy to just Google something. So we've been doing that for, God, we're getting ready to enter year six and it's been a huge dream of mine. I remember standing in the hallway at Eastern the, my first year of doing the international stuff. And Brady was like, I want you to recruit internationally. And I said, okay, what do I do? And he goes, I don't know. Here's our recruiting <laughs> service. Here's our budget. Go figure it out. And I was like, you're just going to send me to Europe. He's like, yeah, go figure it out. And I was just like, Okay. And I was really <laughs> excited because I wanted to see the world. But I remember thinking later on, probably in year two, I remember thinking, I'm going to start my own recruiting service someday. And it was a really light whisper in my heart. And for the first time in my life, I had kind of a direction of something that I was not going to be okay if I got to the end of my life and did not do. And so when I stepped away from coaching, the intent was to eventually get up enough confidence and courage to start my own recruiting service. And here we are, I don't even know, six years later, I guess, and we're doing it. So I'm really proud of it. Well, I am so proud of you. Also a women's basketball analyst. So not only are you the bridge of educating women, young women for opportunities and experience about the possibility just to compete, let alone get an amazing education. And you listened to the whisper in your heart, which I guess I equate to as your dream. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I would. And then I'll always be proud of Go Global and I'm helping. I'm creating opportunity. It's not about me. It's just trying to connect with amazing people all over the world. And it's very, very fulfilling. It's very rewarding. It's very relationship-based. And then, you know, you talked about the media stuff. That's an aspect of what I do now that, you know, I never in a million years could have envisioned that I would be a journalist. I couldn't formulate a paragraph in college. <laughs> so <laughs> it's an interesting platform and voice that I've developed on Twitter as an analyst for Just Women's Sports, my own podcast, just talking about the WNBA. Honestly, it all started as a hobby. When I stepped away from coaching and started Go Global, I always said, it's not intended to be the only thing I do. This allows for a lot of flexibility to do a lot of different things. And as time has gone on, I've been able to add things to my life that are very fulfilling and very rewarding. And every time I thought I wanted to step away from the game and go do something else, I was like, this isn't it. It has to be around the game. So the media stuff has been an unbelievably surprising blessing. I mean, like I said, it started as a hobby and now it's really turned into be a really cool platform. And I view it as a way to give back to the game and to grow the game and to grow the excitement of the game and to tell stories. I just had a, an article that came out last week that was really deep to my heart about Kelsey Plum and her mental health journey through college. And it was emotionally 
fulfilling and exhausting and draining. And I was nervous and I was excited and I'd never done anything like that before. And I know that article reached a lot of lives and I, I credit Kelsey Plum for allowing me to tell her story, stuff that she had never had out there before. I mean, what a cool position that I've found myself in that I never sat there and said, I'm going to be a journalist one day. I'm going to talk about women's basketball. I never had that dream in my heart. I would say the only dream was I wanted to be around the game and make a living around the game and go global. So the media world has been fun. And I just credit that to God. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, <laughs> but I hope that any article or any Anything I put out there is shining a light on our game that I love so much and helping grow it. We really thank you for sharing your story with us. Tune in to her podcast. Definitely follow her on her social media platforms because she is one who shines a light not only on the state of Illinois and Eastern Illinois University, but continues to shine a light on women's athletics, women's basketball, and for the little girls like my little one who's 12, who dreams about being someone like Rachel someday. So it's really cool. You have seized the moment, seized the opportunity, and look where it has taken you. Talk about outside the box, no cage, such opportunity. You have earned it. And it's really neat to hear your story, Rachel. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and so enjoyed this connection again. Man, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I, I'm not always the most comfortable talking about myself, but I appreciate you letting me tell my story and, and revisit a lot of those phenomenal memories I have. Thank you. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And thank you for giving back. We will continue to pay it back by paying it forward. The Year 29 podcast is produced by our incredible team at Year 29. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show. And if you really like it, subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media because we have much more to come. We are on a mission to help students, parents, coaches, counselors, and sponsors. We can do this. Visit year29.com to learn more about the solutions, resources, and scholarships we have for you. After all, it's your path, it's your journey, it's your 29. That's all for now. Until next time, rise up, dream big, and enjoy your day. Thousand times.